Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. And I was praying, I believe it was Wednesday, yeah, it was Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And I was just calling your names out and praying over you. And I just really felt a burden for the people of this house. I really did. You know, Jesus, it says that he had a zeal for the house in John 2. That's why you see him going there with a whip and turning tables. It says that he had a, it says that his zeal for the house consumed him. And a while back, probably about six or seven months ago, I preached a message about that God has a zeal for his people. But the same zeal that he has for his people, we must have for him. And as I was praying, I really felt just this burden or this zeal for the body. And I know that some of you have had a tough week without even having to talk to you. I felt it in the spirit. I really did. I felt, and what I mean by I felt it in my spirit, well, we believe in the Trinity, and there is a third part of that Trinity, the triune being, being the Holy Spirit, who we know when we got born again lives in us. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a wave. He's not a force. He's not a vibe. He's not the tingly feelings or uh, t- tingly things that you feel on your hair or this euphoric thing. No, those things may all come, but the Holy Spirit is a person that lives in your spirit. The Bible calls it the heart of a man or the inner man, the inner witness, the inner being. Many different names how the Bible talks about your personal spirit, but you have your own personal spirit, but you also have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the trying being. He is a person, and he lives in us. He lives in you. So today, if you want to know if God is with you, he is. If you are a born-again believer, come on, the Holy Spirit lives in you today. Some people call it their inner uh, conscience, or they call it an intuition. So that's what I mean when I felt the Spirit of God was talking to me. I had a knowing. I had an intuition. I just knew. The more you abide in him, the Bible says he will abide in you. He will abide in you. So the more you have fellowship with God, the more you can hear from God. Come on, how do you know that to be true today? See, we got a lot of voices in our mind, but we need to learn how to sift all that out. And the way you do that is through fellowship and intimacy with him. So if you feel like you can't hear God, then you're going to have to get intimate with him. Like a marriage, how a spouse or a man and a wife, they are intimate together. They know one another. It's the same way with God. The Bible says that Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Come on. He's jealous for his bride. I don't know about you, but I don't want my wife knowing any other man. I want her to only know me. In the same way with Jesus, he don't want you to know any other thing, no other entity, no other God, no other deity. He don't want you to know any other idol, anything. He wants you to know him. Only him. He's jealous. So as I was praying, I knew that some of you have had a tough week. But I really felt it was a burden. There was a lot of people. It wasn't just a few. And so I was preparing and studying for today. This message is with you in mind. There's grace for the laborer. Last week we talked about the beginning stages of what grace is. What is grace? Grace is something that only comes by and through the Father. Grace doesn't come from you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, they'll go there for a second. And I'm going to read a series of scripture. 
Because I believe it's important to teach you the word of God and to equip you with the word. I'm not trying to just motivate you with some good opinions and life lessons that I've learned. I want to teach you the word and then you can leave with that and have it on, like the Bible says, on the tablets of your heart. Where you don't trust in yourself anymore, but you're trusting in him. Leaning not to your understanding, but acknowledging him in all your ways. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3 that he will what? Direct your paths. So that's why we preach and teach from the word of God here. But that word grace means cherries. And it literally means a unmerited favor. Unmerited favor meaning you didn't do anything to get it. It's unmerited. Merited means based off your merits, you get something. How good you work at a job, you get a promotion. You get an increase. You get a raise in your salary. There's merit. But unmerited means you didn't do anything to deserve it. It was a free gift given by God. It's grace. If you have to think that you have to earn his grace, then it's not grace at all. Grace is what we see in the Old Testament as favor. They're interchangeable. Grace is favor, and favor is grace. Favor is God's blessing on your life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3, that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. Come on, how many know that you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings? In heavenly places. And how was this done? Well, it was done through Christ Jesus. But he, God, gives you this unmerited favor, which gives and affords you or provides you joy, pleasure, delight. How many know that the grace of God brings joy to your life? And I'm about to get into why. It brings pleasure into your life. Another meaning or usage of grace is his goodwill to all men. It's his goodwill. It's his loving kindness. He loves you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Kind of jumping along my notes, but that's fine. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access, say access, by faith. By faith. I've received access by faith into what? This grace in which I stand, which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now think of this. Grace is God's part. Faith is your part. But it's going to be difficult to walk in his grace when I don't have any faith. If I do not have faith, I can't receive of his grace that he freely gives. See, this is what we need to get to today. This is a central idea I want you to understand. You must receive his grace. Receive it. And how do I receive it? By faith. By faith. Then once I received his grace, the next thing is I rely on his grace. Rely on it. I live off of it. It governs my soul. 
Come on, how many know what a governor is? A governor for a car. It governs me. You ever driven a car so fast that then it just that governor kicks in? I don't even know if they still do that anymore. Older vehicles, they do. And just, you get, they get governed, right? You can change the governor. I know Craig probably down there has changed the governor on a car. Everyone know what a governor is, right, on a car? Who doesn't? Let's see. Okay. Everyone. everyone. Oh, wow. This must be the difference between American and Australian accents or uh, language. A governor on a car limits you from driving a certain speed. So you can only go so fast in your car, and then this governor clicks in, and it stops you from driving faster. So grace, what would you call that here? Anybody? Governor. Okay, cool. Everyone's looking at me dumbfounded like, what is he saying right now? That's fine. I just want to make sure I'm not. All right. So that's hilarious. Grace is a governor to your soul, meaning you have to rely on his grace within your life. It will take you to places you can never go on your own. His grace will take you to places and do things within your life that you were never able to do on your own, in your own ability, in your own strength, in your good lookingness, in your beauty, and all those things that you are. His grace. There's some things that makeup cannot cover. I'm talking about his grace in your life. When I mean by makeup, I'm talking about trying to cover things in our life. See, we are in Christ are no longer sinners. We got to get this understanding that we are saved by grace through faith. The old you is dead and gone. I heard it said this way this week, which I really liked. It is just a memory that you are renewing, and it's a, it's a fleeting memory that's leaving, leaving your mind. But if you still think about that memory, then you begin to allow that thinking to come into your life and ultimately into your heart, and then it'll become action. The Bible says it this way, that sin first starts here, and then you begin to give uh, birth to it, and then it has conception. I believe this in James chapter 1 or 2, one of the chapters. See, we have to rely on his grace. And now I've received his grace. I'm relying on his grace. The third thing I do is I respond to life's situations, hardships, tribulation, trouble through his grace. I respond to life's tribulations, hardship. Notice there's a response to the tribulations you face. There's a response. There's a response to what you go through throughout the week. And it's so easy if we don't walk with the Lord and rely on his grace to then get in the flesh. And this is where I begin to sin. I begin to talk a certain way I shouldn't talk. I begin to have thoughts I shouldn't have. I begin to think contrary to the very nature of God in me. Think about that. Your nature. You have the nature of God in you. You are made in his image and his likeness. You have a new creature in you. Like you're a new species of being. You're an alien. You have been alienated from this world. You're in the world, but you're not of this world. But if I don't respond to life's situations through his grace...
then I begin to act like the world. And then what happens is I begin to go down a spiraling path that gets me off the way or gets me off the path of walking with the Lord. And this is why so many people are defeated and barely making it. We're talking about Christians. I'm not talking about an unbeliever. I'm talking about Christians. Barely making it is because they're not relying and responding through grace. See, we got to get to a place where we say it like this. God, your grace, I receive. Your grace, I rely on. And your grace, I respond to in my life, in the situations in my life. Your grace, or his grace, will equip you. How many want to do the will of God today? Guess what? You know how it works? His grace. His grace will equip you to do his will. You cannot follow God and fulfill the will and the purpose that he has for you without relying on his grace. There are four types of grace. There's a saving grace, a grace that saves you, like we're reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. There's a grace that justifies you, meaning justify never sin. There's a grace that will also teach you. The Bible says in Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, or sorry, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. No, 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 yes, 2.11. For the grace of God, 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training you, teaching you. Grace will teach you. It's a good teacher. It's better than having to go through life experiences. His grace will teach you. Grace will enable you, allowing you to go to areas, because remember, grace is what the Bible calls favor. How many believe for favor over your life? What does favor do? Favor gets you in places that you, you're not, you shouldn't be able to go in. Favor puts you in situations where it's just like, how did you get to that place? It wasn't based off my merit. It wasn't based off my ability, my intellect. No, it was because of who he is. I trusted. I had faith in his grace. And it enabled me to get into places where he wanted me to get to. I'm nothing without his grace. You're nothing without his grace. Now, the Bible says this in Matthew 11. Matthew 11. At the time, Jesus, verse 25, verse 25, in light of grace, let's hear this. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Man. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Look at that. Anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Jesus is making this statement. And if you read prior verses within this chapter, you would see that God or Jesus is saying that I know the Father and the Father knows me and everything the Father is, he is revealed to me. So you must, next scripture says, come to me. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Jesus being the advocate, the mediator, as we know. The one that is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus Christ. He is our way to the Father. The grace that God gives is done through Jesus. The next verse says this. Come to me. When I was reading this Wednesday morning, the Lord wanted me to say it this way. You need to come to the Father in your life. You need to stop running away. Every time it gets challenging, every time it gets hard, every time you feel like giving up, don't run away. Come to him. The Father. My son knows to come to me when he's in trouble. He knows that I will protect him. He knows that I will lift him up. I will edify him. I will encourage him. I will instruct him. I will love him. Anytime my son's ever been scared or worried, you know who he comes to? He doesn't come to her. He comes to me. And it's not saying I'm better than her. That's just he recognizes I'm his father. When he needs that loving kindness and that gentle spirit, he goes to her. <laughs> I'm being honest. I'm not saying I'm not that way, but we're... I mean, God made man and women two different ways. Amen? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that still today. Amen? But my son, he knows he can come to me. It's an open door policy with me forever. Even when he's in sin. I pray even over my son now, speaking over his future life. Because I know as parents, and I've heard it. Told from people, even took it to me. Oh, your son's probably going to go in a life of sin. But don't worry, he'll come back to Christ. I just like, I rebuke that. What are you talking about? Like, why do we have to come to this way of thinking? Oh, everybody does it. I didn't do it. I mean, there's a few things I did, but no, nah, I didn't turn away from God completely. And if he did, that's all right. Guess what? His grace and restoration is there for you. He loves you. But in any moment of my son's life, he can come to me. Do you know it's the same with the Father today, with you? Now, the enemy will lie to you, and he will say, no, your sin's too big. The things you've done are too great, and the Father is condemning you. But the Bible says completely opposite in John chapter 3, verse 17, that for Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to... Come on. So who does the condemnation? Well, sin does. Sin in its own nature and what it is causes guilt and shame in your life. And what is sin? Because I think sometimes we think sin is just like, you know, being an alcoholic or being a drug addict or being a fornicator or a cheater or an adulterer or a lion. Or, no, you know, you can go to the small things of gossip, pride. There's not like these big sins, little sins. Now, there's degrees of sins like the Bible talks about. But let me help you today. If you're sitting there judging people because of them, 
being addicted to something, but you're over there gossiping to your best friend about the church that you're part of and you don't like that pastor, there's something wrong with you. I'm going to hit everybody today. I love you, though. I love you. The enemy wants to stop you and hinder you from coming to the Father. He will do everything he can to keep you away. He did it to Peter. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. What happened? He denied him three times. Where did Peter go after he denied him? In his guilt and his shame, he walked away from the Lord. Jesus had to go find him when he came back from the dead. And in the same way that he met Peter in the first encounter, he showed up again and said, hey, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And what do we know of Peter? Well, we know that Peter got born again. Jesus breathed into him, and he got born again, got filled in the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. And then, obviously, Peter wrote uh, two books of the Bible, and he did started the early church. I mean, come on. So... Anybody denied the Father today? Well, guess what? If you did, there's hope for you today. Anybody cut off an ear today? <laughs> Anybody want to do that today? <laughs> See, the enemy will lie to you and try to tell you that you're not good enough for God, but his grace says you are good enough. And we and look, let me help the church because every time we talk about grace, there's always that person like quick say, well, grace doesn't mean we can sin. I never said that. <laughs> I never said that grace was a license to sin. No, actually, grace helps me not to sin. Grace empowers me not to sin. Grace empowers me to live with the Lord. Again, we said receive his grace, rely on his grace, and then what? Respond to life by his grace. Because if I'm walking according to his grace, I'm not going to want to sin. I'm not going to want to do those things. See, have you ever sinned and you didn't like what you did? Of course. You know why? Because you got the spirit of God in you. The problem is if you start sinning and you don't have any, it doesn't do anything for you. It's like, whatever. It becomes habitual. You begin what the Bible calls a callous heart to the things of God. You're just callous. Like, I don't care. Look at that. I don't know many people like that. More, more so, I know people that are struggling and hate what they do, and they want to be free from it. They just don't know how to get free from it. Now, the Bible says this, come to me. So we come to the Father, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice it says all who labor. We are laborers. Now, everyone in this life, Christian or unchristian are laborers for something. People are, learn, are laboring for, a, uh, for their life, for their family, for their generation and the next generation. They're laboring for money. They're laboring for a house, whatever it may be. They're laboring for a career. The people of God, we're laboring for the kingdom of God. We're building his kingdom. We're building his name, making him famous. Jesus said it this way, all who are laboring come to me. Come to me. And it also says, those who are heavy, laden, and I will give you rest. The word labor and heavy laden means this. Labor is a laborious toil involving weariness and fatigue. Have you ever just worked your brains out and there's nothing in return? 
You just feel like you're tired. You're just constantly going. You wake up early in the morning. You got to go work. You got to do what you got to do. And you're just weary. You're tired. Like, man, this is, I'm just barely getting through the day. Come to the Father. Before you make a quick decision to quit, before you make a decision to give up and just hang up your hat, come to the Father. That word heavy laden or burden means overloaded, causing you to be literally weighted down. How many feel weighted down? Feel like you're so overloaded today? Come to the Father. Come to Him. There's no drug, there's no drink, there's no sin in this world that will satisfy you like Jesus Christ. There's nothing. Nothing. Look what he says. I will give you rest. Now, in regards to rest, the Bible says this in Psalms chapter 46, 10. 4610, be still and know that I am God. Who is God in your life today? He is. I am God, he says. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Is he exalted today in your life? Be still, it says, be still and know that he is God. How many know that God is the creator of all things? God, literally from the first day he spoke the light into motion, the earth into play, those same words today, his words are still in momentum today. They're still working for you today. How many people in the Bible do you see that they trusted on the word from God? They trusted in a word from God. Abraham trusted for 24 years on a word from God. He had faith, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, look what Jesus says. You ready for what rest looks like to Jesus? Take my yoke upon you. Ooh. <laughs> Take my yoke. Now, how many know what a yoke is? I'll explain it. A yoke was a harness that was used by oxen and other animals to ease the work of hauling a load. It was also meant as a designation of servitude and carrying the burden of a task or a mission. In the Old Testament, you see even Elisha on a, I think it's 12 yoke of oxen, and he's, he's working, he's laboring. And in that moment, he's called by Elijah. Remember, he gets his cloak thrown on him, and then he leaves from his labor and follows Elijah. See, there is another yoke, though. There's a yoke that Jesus gives you, and there's a yoke that the world gives you. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, that it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Or we've heard it say this way, the anointing destroys the yoke. Who's ever heard that before? Now, think of this yoke. It's something that literally goes on the oxen's neck. Now, but let's talk about you, though. You got this yoke, and there's two heads or two beings that go within this yoke, one on the right side and one on the left side. What thing are you yoked up to in your life? 
The Bible says it this way, that you could be yoked up to sin. Sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're so yoked up to fear, you're just going wherever fear takes you. Now, notice this, though. This is one cool thing about the yoke and the oxen. Typically, when it came to the yoke, you would have a stronger oxen with a weaker one, and the stronger one then would teach the weaker one how to walk. He would train the weaker one and help them develop some stronger legs and some stronger fortitude in moving forward. How is this similar, though, to our life when it comes to sin? Sin will try to lead and dominate over your life. It will weaken you. And this is what the Bible calls unequally yoked. It's stronger than you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, in light of this, of this understanding in this scripture, you could become unequally yoked with things in your life. Relationships. Friendships, but even things that you do, you become unequally yoked. And then what happens is those things begin to dominate your life. They begin to control the direction and the path of where you want to go. This is why it seems like you can't ever get on top within your life. You feel like you constantly fall back in. It's because you have not allowed the anointing to destroy the yoke. And how do you allow the anointing to destroy the yoke? Come to the Father. And get rest. Take upon his yoke. Now what is his yoke? Well his yoke is a little different. See, rather than the strong oxen being you, it's Jesus. In the same way that sin is, tries to dominate your life, guess what? The Lord wants to dominate your life. And he does this through giving you his life. says, follow me. Jesus said it this way, pick up your cross, follow me. Follow me. See, he says, come to me or take upon my yoke and learn from me. So when I have his yoke, I begin to learn his ways. I begin to see myself the way he sees me. I begin to love myself the way he loves me. How do you love yourself today? Do you love yourself at all? Maybe you love yourself or don't love yourself because of the things you do. And the enemy wants you to believe that. And he's taken a lot of good people's lives from doing so. See, it's through his grace that you will be able to labor. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior, the one that is yoked up with us, will train us and teach us for he is gentle and lowly in heart. That word gentle means a biblical meekness. It's not a weakness, but it rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control. He exercises his strength under his control. He wants to exercise his strength in your life. But you can't control it. He wants to control it. I've heard it said like this. 
know that God controls all things is true if we let him. How does God control things in your life? Through your submission, through your surrender, through you taking on that yoke and saying, God, I'll go wherever way you want me to go. Whatever you want me to do. Because God just won't take over your mind. Say, all right, go my way. Use a force or something. <laughs> Star Wars, sorry. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He's a gentleman. It says that he's gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. What is your soul? Let's understand. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. He ain't talking about your spirit. He's talking about your soul. So he's saying, guess what? I'm going to give you rest for your soul, your emotions. I'm going to give you rest for your will, for your thoughts, your mind, your feelings. I'm going to give you rest. Take upon my yoke. You might be a person that's always emotional to everything in life. You act in the soulish prim part of you. Let me help you today. Take upon this yoke. And he says he'll give you rest for your soul. And this is the best part. For my yoke is easy. So the yoke, when it comes to sin, when it comes to being uh, to slavery, when it comes to the oxen plowing the ground, that yoke's heavy. It's hard. A lot of work, a lot of effort. I'm striving. But his yoke's different. It's rest. It's trusting in him. It's relying on him. It's receiving what he's done. And it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word light literally means easily managed or easily carried, easy to move with. And as I was praying Wednesday, I saw people barely moving, barely making it. Because of the weight on your shoulders that you're trying to carry. That was never yours to carry anymore. It was his to take from you and to give you rest in return. This type of message causes you to come to the end of yourself. It causes you not to rely on yourself. Because this whole essence of what I believe God wants to do is you can't build his kingdom weak. He needs you strong. And you are only strong through him. You think I got to be strong in order to do something for God in my own strength. No. He's saying, come to me in your weakened state, in your beat up state, in your hurtful state, your troubled state. Come to me and I will make you strong through my grace. And as doing so, what will happen? Your labor unto me will change. It won't be halfway. It won't be casual. It will be fully committed, fully turned on to the Lord. And then after that, what happens? The effect. What happens? People in your family get born again, get filled in the Holy Ghost, get healed in their life. People at the shop see the glory of God in your life and like, oh my gosh, what's going on? There was a story one time. I won't name their names. But they were in a subway getting a eat fresh sandwich. Just ordering a sandwich. Man of God. And across the street, this person who was struggling with life was ready just to be done with life. Saw him through the window. 
It says, and this man said that he ran in there, fell on his knees and said, I'm a sinner and you have God. Pray for me. This man looked at him, laid his hand on him, prayed for him. The guy got born again, got filled in the Holy Ghost, and he led everybody else to Jesus in there. Come to me and I will give you rest. What would happen if his church resides in his presence? What would happen to a church that's not trying to just go to church for two hours and barely get by throughout the week, but we serve God 24-7 and we live our lives completely dedicated and committed to him? The Bible says commit your ways to him and he will establish you. It's one thing of trying to be established by your own strength. It's another when he establishes you in his strength. You were never made to do it on your own. You were never made to labor on your own. You might hear the word labor and it scares you because it means you got to commit to something. I get it. I know this type of preaching really is just preaching the word. It is challenging at times because it literally means you got to grow, you got to change, you got to develop. You can't just stay the same person anymore. And you may like you who you are, you may be completely fine and perfect with the way you are. That's fine, but is God okay with how you're living? And only you can be the judge of that. Only you can go to the Father and say, God, am I doing everything I'm supposed to be doing for your will? And let me help you. If you're not getting people born again, if you're not involved in your church, if you're not preaching the gospel, those are just basic things. Basic. Literally, those are basic things. For some reason, we talk about witnessing someone as one of the most challenging things. It's not. Think about how often you talk about the things you love. You talk about going to the gym. You talk about playing video games. You talk about drinking coffee. I don't know. You talk about maybe you're a foodie. It's so easy to talk about. It should be the same way when it comes to him. You say, well, how do I get to that place? I don't, I don't have where to start. You're going to have to get into his presence. You're going to have to come to him. I never would be on this stage doing what I do if I didn't go to the Father. I'm not who I am today because of my own strength. I am who I am today because of who he is. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.